Welcome to the podcast of the European Society of Anesthesiology and Intensive Care. I'm your host, Marcus Stevens of the Academic Medical Centers Amsterdam, the Netherlands. Today we'll be challenging the dogma awake extubation is safer and easier in children. We've invited Professor Britta von Ungern Sternberg from Perth Children's Hospital, Australia. Britta, tell us all about your views. What do you think about the dogma, dogma of late or awake extubation? Thank you very much, Marcus, for inviting me to come and talk to you today. Um, yeah, I think it's an interesting dogma, which we've obviously had for many, many decades, that all the children should be extubated awake or should actually, or even starts earlier, where you say, should they actually even be intubated in the first point? I think that's where we have to start the conversation. Um, but if we decide we have to intubate the patient, which I actually think very few of our patients should be in the first place, but if you say we have not made the decision, we are intubating them, it really depends on the individual patient. And I don't think there's ever the place in pediatric anesthesia um, that there's a dogma which is right for everyone. And that is for every single topic there is, and particularly when it comes to extubation. So there are a few factors we should look into. Um, a, what is the center where I'm at? What is actually the experience of my team, of the not only the anesthetist, but the rest of the team involved with the patient? And then who is my patient? What is the age of my patient? What is the underlying um, condition of my patient? Um, and what is the, obviously the procedure my patient has undergone? So if you have, for example, a patient with a very difficult airway and it couldn't secure the airway properly, and most likely if I would have to reintubate them in a hurry, it would be very tricky. Obviously, I would want to extubate this patient right awake. However, if I have got a patient who is high risk for respiratory adverse events, so for at a high risk for laryngospasm or bronchospasm, we know that an endotracheal tube in the trachea is one of the highest mechanical stimulus I can actually put into my child. So having um, the, the tube in the trachea while the patient is awake, I'm really stimulating the trachea massively and then I'm much more likely to get a bronchospasm on emergence. So if I have a child who's asthmatic or who has got an upper respiratory tract infection or recurrent inflammation, as a lot of our children with, for example, adenotonsillectomies have, um, or if they have other reasons of atopy, we should most likely extubate these children deep to actually avoid respiratory adverse events. So it's a rather complex field. And how would you define what is awake? How do you measure it? What signs are you looking for? And what uh, would you regard as deep extubation? So that's a really good question because that's not very well defined in most of the literature. And a lot of people, when we talk about it, define different things from it. I personally define a deep extubation as someone who is deeply anesthetized, not reacting to a jaw thrust, um, but... but they are um, breathing spontaneously at a nice regular rhythm, having good tidal volumes, but they're not reacting to any stimulation at all. Um, usually I also give them extra bowls of propofol just to keep them nicely there where we flex it blunt when I take it out. Awake extubation, on the other hand, is really truly awake. So they would open their eyes and they will obviously have all their swallowing reflexes that would be really right away to actually pull their tube themselves. And uh, would you um, 
change your management uh, regarding uh, the anesthesia um, if you plan to do a deep or um, awake extubation. So would you either use or not use lots of opioids, lots of uh, alpha-2 agonist, or either sibuflurin or propofol? Um, I personally wouldn't. I'm a big fan of Tiva myself. So I use Tiva for nearly all of my patients. Obviously, if I want my patient right awake and I don't want to wait for a long time, um, I would, you know, try not to have a massive overhang of opiates to get them to wake up. But on the other hand, that's the same on my deep. So I don't um, make a big difference whether I want them deep or awake. It's really purely the timing when I pull my tube. It also doesn't mean if I pull my tube deep, and I think that's where people run into trouble, that they pull the tube deep and they go, oh, the airway's out. Now I'll leave them in recovery. Mm. that is really the reason when we actually get problems. So I think the important thing is really the time when I isolate is pull the tube out, but then I have to look after my patient. Because obviously if I take it out deep, they've got a much lower risk of getting persistent coughing, of um, getting laryngospasm or bronchospasm, but they are at higher risk for airway obstruction. And we've shown that in multiple studies that um, this airway obstruction is not um, linked to desaturations. But that's obviously only if you've got the staff to look after it. So that's why it brings me back to what I said initially. I really have to figure out where am I and what is the um, my surroundings. Can I stay with my patient until he's awake from a deep extubation? Or um, am I going to leave the child with recovery nurses? And if I do leave a child with recovery nurses, um, are there in a one-to-one um, situation that I do one-to-one recovery um, are they actually skilled to looking after these um, children and would they be able to do airway maneuvers if required? So I think that's, again, where the setting comes into place, whether I can do this safely or not. But I would run more or less the same anesthetic for both of them. It's just really purely the timing of when I pull my tube. What would you suggest to do after extubation? Um uh, would you prefer to prophylactically give oxygen? Would you prefer a high flow, low flow? Would you reduce the FeO2 or um, um, uh, prefer to try to let the child breathe uh, with a little bit of CPAP by holding the mask close to the nose and mouth? Very good question. It really depends on my patient. So if I extubate a very small neonate, um, I would t- most likely um, try and extubate them against high flow um, or at least CPAP just to keep their lungs open and um, give them the um, extra pressure they need to avoid their atelectasis until um, they're really back to normal. Um, would I give them high FiO2? No, I wouldn't. Uh, but again, it, it depends on my underlying pathology. So if I've got a child who Preoperatively in doing the surgery um, was fine on low FiO2s. I would also keep it on low FiO2s, particularly the very small ones, because you know that hypoxia is not good for them. Um, and otherwise, I would try and get a mixture of oxygen and air, but would avoid 100% oxygen also to avoid absorption atelectasis. Um, in the older children, um, a normal healthy child who was intubated for a smaller procedure, um, I would see how they go initially. If you extubate them awake, I would just put them on their side um, and let them breathe possibly a little bit of wafted oxygen, but not much, possibly a bit of CPAP. But most of them, if they're awake, they actually don't want anything. They can keep their airway open. If I extubate them deep, 
they all need a little bit of CPAP and a little bit support um, for a tiny bit, and then you can let them sort of see how they settle in this side. I think it's very important to put these kids in a lateral position just because the upper airway has a lot more stability if you put them lateral. And again, they don't need 100% oxygen, um, just a tiny bit extra, unless you've got a child who's got some underlying lung diseases who are oxygen dependent. Uh, we focus up to now on uh, endotracheal tubes, but uh, what would, th how would it change the game if you were using a supraglottic airway? Is there also the same discussion in favor of um, deep or awake extubation uh, or removal of the supraglottic airway? That's definitely um, a similar discussion about it. Um, there's long debates. The difference is not quite as big because obviously um, in these children, the airway sits superglottic, so the mechanical stimulus is not half as much even if the child is awake than it would be with a deep, so the differences are slightly smaller. However, um, if my child has um, no respiratory risk factors, so it doesn't have asthma, it doesn't have a recent upper respiratory tract infection, it doesn't have a dry nocturnal cough and other risk factors for a respiratory adverse events. Actually, it's been shown with the LMAs, there's not much difference whether you take it out deep versus awake. Um, at the time of taking it out and recovery later, you get more persistent coughing um, and you get slightly more minor desaturations. If that is a complication which is really terrible, that's very debatable. Um, whereas if you have children who have risk factors for respiratory adverse events, so children again with asthma, respiratory tract infections, um, nocturnal dry cough, um, or a strong history of, of eczema or hay fever or passive smoking or even active smoking in the older children, they're the ones who will definitely benefit from taking the LMA out um, deep as well. Um, just because we don't have this mechanical stimulus up the upper airway and you see less laryngospasms as they wake up. In case you leave it in, even in the post-operative care unit, do you um, just uh, use room air or humidified air or um, uh, oxygen-enriched air? So we do leave the LMAs in place very often and we can actually send them to our PACU with the LMA. Unfortunately, we don't have the use of blenders in all our base, which is something I've been fighting for a long time. Um, so I'm trying not to give them 100% oxygen because all we buy is absorption atelectasis and the very small ones, although in the very young ones, I will never leave an LMA in. I always take it out deep. Um, I do a lot of um, neonates and very small infants on LMAs. Always take it out deep um, myself. Never put them into recovery for wake removal. Um, but yeah, I'll try and lower the FIO2 if at all possible, because you just buy absorption atelectasis. But I think that's a, a really important one. I just managed to really want to highlight in the very small ones. I always, always, always take it out deep. And um, one of the reasons also as they wake up, they're more likely to dislodge, particularly in the small ones. They, in general, the superglottic airways dislodge much easier in them. And in the waking up process, it just, um, it's quite risky if you take it out awake in the very small ones. Um, if things go wrong and uh, you extubated too early or, or um, the the extubation was 
not successful, what would be your favorite to uh, help the child to give uh, to to open up the airway? So you mean if the child had a laryngospasm or something to open up? Uh, yes, or, or just um, uh, if it's not opening up the upper airway, would you prefer just to give a little bit of oxygen and a little bit of CPAP or put in an oropharyngeal or nasopharyngeal uh, tube um, or just give a tune lift for a couple of minutes? So my preferred option is to really not manipulate the airway because if you manipulate the airway, well, in some patients, it's what they need to give children, um, some children who have very collapsible airways, but most children, or you buy again by manipulation of the airway, is mechanical stimulation and therefore more trouble. So I tend to just give them CPAP with um, jaw thrust and just try and sort of help them through the episode. If it is laryngospasm, or I suggested it will be sort of I'll give a bolus of propofol, um, see if that helps. Most of the time, if you give CPAP um, and propofol, most of the time the laryngospasm will be um, broken. On the other hand, I always teach all our juniors, don't wait for too long for your muscle relaxant if you do need it, even though in our own practice I haven't used it in many, many years. But you don't want your junior who hasn't done as many cases who's alone in the middle of the night with a patient. You, re I really do encourage them to rather reach early because, yeah, if you give it early, you're always safe. You don't want to wait too long. So in general, you prefer deep extubation with a strong advice that you keep monitoring your patient closely. Are there any cases in which you want to avoid deep extubation? So if I don't want to do deep extubation, it's really when I'm worried about aspiration in my patient. So if my patient, for example, just had a major laparotomy or had um, massive vomiting beforehand, um, or if my patient has a difficult airway and I really worry about getting the tube back in there, the ones where I would definitely take it out awake. Um, in some of the very, very small babies as well, um, while the LMAs, I always take them out deep in the small ones. The tubes I tend to um, take out awake just because the very small ones, they have more apneas. They have more, it's, it's just a bit harder to to find the right price. So I'm now talking the ones around about a kilo, a kilo and a half. So I try and excavate those awake as well. Uh, you often use an extra bolus of propofol, you said before, for extubating. Um, do you use lidocaine sometimes also to avoid laryngospasm or, or, or bronchospasm, IV? Uh, I know we've done a trial about this in Basel back in my training years in Switzerland. Um, it does help, but it only helps for a very short time interval, only about three to five minutes. Um, I do use it if I'm really worried about a patient, but most of the time, no, because most of the time if you give a bolus profile, you take it out deep. Um, I normally don't. When I do use it, sometimes if I have a patient where I have to extubate awake um, for a patient reason, but I really don't want them to cough, um, for example, a neurosurgical patient, um, but they have, for example, also difficult airway or something, then I might give them some lincane just to try and get a bit more extra cough suppressant from that. Um, but um, what what would be uh, other medication, high dose of opioids to avoid coughing or even, uh, alone deep uh, anesthesia, deep propofol anesthesia? 
the problem is if you give them a high dose of opiate, you just don't know if they're breathing um, sufficiently. So I would never have someone very. I, I'm. I like my patients very deep, very comfortable. Um, so I want them really nice and saturated on the opiate so they're comfortable when they wake up. But as I said, I don't actually distinguish between the ones I have in or excavated awake or deep. They have to be comfortable either way. Um, but I don't give them an extra big bolus. Occasionally for your patient, I, you know, I obviously would then quite often have my Remy running and might still run that on a very, very low dose. But the problem is really to balance it against the patient breathing appropriately. Um, and the cough um, suppressing effects of the Remy. Could you give some take-home messages about deep extubation? I think it's really important to look at your individual patient and really look at your patient. Um, how old is your patient? What risk factors does your patient have? Um, do they have any risk factors for respiratory adverse events, particularly asthma, particularly nocturnal dry cough, which very often is a sign for not very well treated hyperactivity of the airways. Um, if they have that and they have no contraindication like a difficult airway or um, a higher aspiration risk, then I should extubate them deep. Um, if I have a difficult airway or a, a um, heightened aspiration risk, then I should extubate them awake or if they're incredibly small premature babies. However, what I always have to keep in mind, if I do extubate them deep, and I think that's where people really run into trouble, and I can only stress that you can't just extubate and leave your patient. Um, you have to still look after your patient or have someone really qualified look after your patient until they are awake. We can't just walk away. And I think that's where um, the controversial literature also comes from. The people say, oh, you have so much more complications. You do if you don't look after them. Um, so I think that's a really, really important message. I love my deep excavation. It works incredibly well. It really reduces my respiratory adverse effects, but only if you actually stay with your patient or have someone really skilled stay with your patient and not just dump them in recovery and go like, I'm done, I'm going, I'm having my lunch. I think that's really the important part. Okay. Uh, that's a very good point, uh, um, especially because it sounds a little bit counterintuitive that you have a patient with a high risk of uh, bronchospasm, a high risk of laryngospasm, and especially in this patient, you take out your safe airway very early, and it doesn't mean uh, that you, you can drop in uh, much more early uh, to someone else. So, yeah. Uh, to drop them off in recovery. So we quite often, we extubate them, we drop them off in recovery. We are very, um, we are very fortunate that we have a very, very good recovery with a one-to-one -one ratio with extremely skilled nurses. And we will make sure that our patient is breathing nicely, that they are there. But they're still quite often quite deeply anesthetized when we leave them there. But we really make sure who is the nurse who's there. We obviously have different, we are teaching hospital, we have also nurses of different calibers. Um, and if we are thinking that the nurse is too junior for this patient or my patient is slightly too complex, we stay with the patient until they are awake. So um, to use it to save time, I think that's the wrong thing. Um, but it's really to avoid complications and which happen through the mechanical stimulus. I think, as I said, the tube has, um, in the old tradition, the safety reason and it's so much safer. I've got my uh, tube in. Well, it is while my tube is in situ, but actually, and we have to keep that in mind. That's why I started off as well. We have to really think about, do we need this tube? 
we basically do 99.999% of all our adenotonsillectomies on LMAs. It will never occur to us to actually intubate any of these patients. We know that incredibly high risk for respiratory adverse events, they have all the risk factors, all these children, they normally have multiple risk factors um, to have respiratory adverse events, particularly um, laryngospasm and bronchospasm. And there's absolutely no benefit of having the tube in. Also, our surgeons say they, they if we, for, for a random reason, have to actually intubate a patient, um, they're really irritating. We're like, why are you intubating this patient? Like, it's not good for them because they can see how in practice these children do so much better if you don't irritate your airways. Um, because if you intubate them, and even if you're very gentle, you're very experienced, you always do hit slightly the um, tracheal wall. That's just a matter of these. We put a plastic tube in it. The surgeon manipulates the, the airway, they move the head during the surgery, which they do, they have to do, particularly if you do grommets as well. So you will have some irritation, which will increase their um, hyperactivity and will increase airway resistance and will is just at much higher risk of having any problems in the in the perioperative period. So I think it's really the importance to decide which airway, if you can possibly do in children, always use an LMA. Um, or another superglottic airway, or even just high flow. We use a lot of high flow as well. And only very few patients actually need the tube. So uh, away from the dogma, we uh, we started with uh, that uh, always do awake extubation because it's safer. It's not a dogma, but an advice to use as little instrumentation of the airway and as short as possible. Uh, but as I said, as possible, but uh, not more, uh, not to uh, to save time or to push it to a heart, just keep it safe. Yes. Yeah. You really want to have it as, as short and as little as possible, but then what they need. So um, for example, if you have the procedure which needs an endotracheal tube, for example, you're doing a big laparotomy, um, I would do that personally on an endotracheal tube. But for a lot of other cases, like a hernia repair, even a premature baby, you can easily do them on a um, on an LMA. You can all the upper airway procedures you can do in the LMA or high flow. It's really um, only the candy kits and the neuro kits you need to intubate, and most of the others you can do in LMAs. And you can just save your children some respiratory adverse events and some complications from the tube. Britta. Thank you very much for this interesting discussion. And thanks everyone for listening to this episode. The ASAIC releases monthly podcast on the ASAIC website and various streaming platforms. We hope you will join us for the next one. 